Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Turn to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. Man. I'm starting to understand why you do all that sledding and stuff like that whenever you're younger. My body is telling the story on me today. I hadn't hit that fence about 10 times. I think I'd even be a little bit better. Amen. God is still worthy today. Thankful for you who have been healed and made well to be able to be in the house of the Lord and came out of your dwelling places to make it to church. Amen. I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter number four. Exodus four. And also be turning to Exodus chapter number 8 Exodus 4 also be turning to Exodus chapter number 8 as again this coming week is prayer at the church every night prayer taking place at the church I invite you to come out pray there'll be a focus for each night that we're here when we pray that will be denoted in the foyer whenever you come you'll know what the focus is maybe some prayer guides out there too to help you in your praying. But let's really concentrate upon our own personal lives and the life of this church here in the community of Mount Carmel. Amen. This coming week. We need to be the church that God wants us to be. We need to be the church that God wants us to be. We need to be the church that's set apart from any other. Amen. If God set Israel apart among all nations, we need to be set apart. We need to be set apart in the place, the location where we are from all others. Amen is unto the Lord. Amen. So let's do that this week. Uh, the, the rest of the month on Wednesdays, we'll be doing communion on the following Wednesday. This coming Wednesday will be prayer at the church, of course. The following one will be Wednesday, and the next one, foot washing again. All means and tools of consecration kind of reset. And you remember your old vehicles, you used to have to take that little, you had that little thing sticking out, and you wound it whenever you, after you'd taken a trip to wind it back to all zeros. You remember doing that? Today it's electronic. You push a button does it but you used to have to do that set it back to all zeros well it's time to wind that back and set everything back to zero set it all back at zero and let's see by the end of the year how far we went amen whenever it comes december 31st of this year exodus chapter number four verse number four giving you time to get there the bible says and the lord said unto moses put forth thine hand take it by the tail he put forth his hand and caught it it became a rod in his hand we're kind of diving here in a little bit of a story but I think you understand this is when Moses threw down the rod it became a snake he picked it back up became a rod again and it became a rod in his hand verse 4 says verse 5 that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers the God of Abraham God of Isaac God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. 
Exodus chapter 8, just a few chapters over from where we are. Exodus chapter number 8 and verse number 18. We are already worked a little bit into the plagues that have come upon Egypt. The Bible says in verse 18, And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. As the Lord has said. Hope I can make sense of all of this before we leave today. But this morning, I would like to preach this. A convinced church. A convinced church. Hallelujah. A convinced church. If there's ever a time that the church needs to be persuaded, convinced, settled in who they are, what they believe, what, what, what they believe that God can do, we need to be convinced today. Because if we're not convinced, Nobody else is going to be convinced. If we're not persuaded, we can't try to persuade anybody else. So I want to preach this morning about a convinced church. A convinced church. Father, I come to you today. Master, you know, Lord Jesus, God, what's needful. Lord, here this morning, God, what's necessary. God, I can only do so much here today, Lord. I can only do so much. But God, we need your spirit. We need your power and your anointing. God, I can only have so much bearing, God, upon the people, Lord, that stand before me this morning. God, Lord Jesus, whether it's years, Lord, of time that I spend here, I can have only so much bearing, God, upon the people before me. But God, we need, Lord, heaven. We need the spirit of the almighty God to touch. We need the spirit of the almighty God God, to, Lord Jesus, lean in, God, upon our own lives, Lord, our personal lives, the lives, God, of this church today. I pray, God, you would help us in the next several moments, God, to be sensitive to the voice of heaven and what heaven, Lord, would be desiring, what heaven, God, would be wanting, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, I'll give you the honor and the glory for, Lord, whatever you accomplish in this building today. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. A convinced, everybody say convinced. A convinced church. A convinced church. Amen. It was, as it would seem, a solitary family that entered into Egypt and a nation that came out of Egypt the solitary family that made their way into Egypt had the family tree of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, these great patriarchs of the faith, people that believed God, 
insomuch that they were willing to leave their peoples and their lands to go on a journey to go to a land of Canaan though at best during their years upon the earth those patriarchs of old were at best sojourners in the land of Canaan but they had all had individual episodes where God had made himself plain to them whether it was visiting them at the altars that they made whether it's causing fire to fall upon the sacrifices that they put upon their altars in some manner and some way they held deep within the, 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 the coves of their heart that they believed the Lord they believed in God they believed that when he spoke as he spoke to Abraham that your descendants are going to be as the sands of the sea that he would take that into his heart and they had seen the handy work of God open the womb of Sarah and open the womb of Rebecca and open the womb of these ladies and so there was a certain there was a certain aspect in their lives that they could put their finger on and say this right here is an irrefutable result and an irrefutable testimony that I can say that there is a God a God that desires to work in our behalf and in our lives. And although those would have that testimony and they would have those little glimpses, if you will, of the supernatural in their life, they would enter as a solitary family into Egypt, amen, and be there during the course of years after even that Joseph had died and a king would arise over Egypt that knew not Joseph they found themselves in a vastly different predicament than what they did when they first entered into Egypt we don't have really a lot of history there's a not a lot that can be read of their years and their time that was spent in Egypt at best, we know that they were builders of whatever it was that Pharaoh uh, had desired, his kingdom, his buildings. They were builders of that. They would make brick and they would be, as if you will, slaves under the hand of Pharaoh. But there's not a bunch that we know about their time there. We do know that as they were there and as they were afflicted, that they did multiply. But I don't know if they truly were able to draw the connection that this multiplying during their time of affliction was because of their God, of their patriarchs, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob working for them and through them because I believe if they'd really caught the vision that this was a God thing, that they would have left Egypt long before Moses ever showed up because they had the numbers, they had the power, they had the strength for that matter. The Bible says the reason why Pharaoh overcame them with taskmasters as he did because he was afraid that this nation was going to get so big and so large that it would overtake Egypt. And so I believe that they truly drew the line and understood that that to be the handiwork of God, they would have left far uh, longer before they actually left under the hand of Moses. So there's a certain aspect of me that tends to believe uh, that this family that is growing, this nation that's growing, as you will, in the womb of Egypt, were not totally plugged into everything that God could do and everything that God was doing. 
They knew that there was a God. Their patriarchs, their heritage, their family had bespoke those type of things. But in order to see that played out in their own lives, all they know is brick and straw and labor working under the thumb, if you will, of one that has opposed them. But now we're at a very critical juncture in this story that God is sending a deliverer. God is sending Moses to come to the children of Israel, to come to the children of of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is coming through the man Moses to this nation to bring deliverance unto them. And Moses is a little bit apprehensive. Moses is a little bit doubtful in his mind. Before he ever left Egypt, he had slain a man because an Egyptian was beating one of his brethren. And at that moment in time, he pulled back the curtain just a little bit to these boys and let them know basically that God has set me up to be a deliverer to you. Speaking almost prophetically, Moses was. But these boys, these Israelite boys, could not even begin to discern that God would provide deliverance for them. They were in disbelief. And so Moses goes for 40 years on the backside of a desert, amen, serving under a Midianite priest, as it were, marrying a wife, amen, of a Midianite priest, as it were, that being her father. But on that day that he seen the burning bush on the backside of a desert and the fire consuming it, God would speak to Moses from that bush and say, Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to deliver my people. And Moses, Moses being a little doubtful. Moses being a little bit afraid. He basically tells God, he says, who who, who should I say is sent him? Well, tell him that I am that I am has sent you. Moses says, that's great. He says, but but I don't know if that's good enough because these people, and I'm saying this in my terms today, these people have been in bondage for years. These people have been under the hand of oppression for years. These people just have the story of the generation before them and they've not really seen or connected the dots about a relevant God for their generation and a relevant God for their age. I believe what Moses was telling God is this. God, we're dealing with a people that's not convinced. We're dealing with a people that's not persuaded. All they've had is the lashing of the whip upon their back. All they've had is the toil and the despair and the agony of work upon their back. They're not convinced about this God thing right now. They're not persuaded about deliverance right now. And so God, I'm a little doubtful about my encounter saying God, God's here to deliver you. And so with that being said, God says, okay, Moses, I'll give you some things. I'll give you a few little tricks, if you will, in the bag in order to persuade these people. He says, I want you to lay down your rod. And whenever he laid it down, it would become a snake slithering upon the ground. And he said, Moses, I want you to take that thing by the tail and pick it back up. And Moses took it by the tail and picked it back up, and it became a rod again. Wow, folks, I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing. He said, Moses, if it's not the first sign then here's the second put your hand into your bosom put your hand into your bosom and Moses would put his hand into his bosom and he would bring it out and it was white it was leprous it was a hand of leprosy amen that was contracted by anybody that would get around him he would be unclean by that he says Moses put that hand back in your bosom and he does and he brings it out again and honey it's just so clear it's healed there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> 
He says, I'm going to send you, amen, to Israel with that. And he said, beyond that, and we'll see this a little later, one of the first things also in addition with those two that was done, he would then take a cup, amen, of water from the Nile River, and he would pour it on the ground, and it would become blood. And so God says, Moses, I've given you my name, and I give you these signs of the rod. I give you the sign of the hand. I even give you the sign of water being turned into blood. Well, I'm here to tell you today, we know, according to the Bible, that Moses walked into the court of Pharaoh. And he showed these signs according to scripture. He showed these signs to Pharaoh. And he showed these signs to those that were in his palace. But I want to pull back the curtain today and reveal the primary reason why God wanted him to use the sign of the rod. And the primary reason why God wanted him to use the sign of the hand and the blood was not so much for Egypt as it was for Israel. It wasn't so much for Pharaoh and his court as much it was for the children of Israel that said God is our God. Oh yeah, because the Bible says whenever he went before Pharaoh with these very same signs, with the rod at least that we can read and the blood, we don't read of the hand in the court of Pharaoh. Amen, it might have happened, I don't know, it's just not recorded in scripture, but he did the sign of the rod and the sign of the blood before Pharaoh. Amen, he did these same signs right before them, but again, it was mainly for Israel because whenever Moses does these signs before Pharaoh. Amen. Amen. The Bible says whenever Moses first and went had his first meeting with Pharaoh. The Bible says in Exodus 5 and 2 when he had his first meeting with Pharaoh and said Pharaoh you need to let God's people go. God is commanding that they would come out. The Lord is commanding that they would come out and worship him in the desert. The Bible says that Pharaoh said who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? To let Israel go. He says I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. Listen to me. So Moses are going to do these signs. Before Pharaoh. Before somebody says these are the signs of heaven. These are the signs of God. But Pharaoh don't even know who the Lord is. Pharaoh doesn't even know who the Lord is. And folks I'm telling you. You know that you're met with some difficulty. You listen to me. You know you're going to be met with some difficulty when you're trying to convince somebody that doesn't even know who the Lord is. You know you're going to be met with some difficulty when you're going to use these signs to try to convince a people or a Pharaoh that even doesn't know who the Lord is. When? Your own people. When your own people need convincing that you've had a visitation of God. Moses says, if I go before them, they won't believe I've had a visitation from you. If I go before them, they won't believe that I've seen a burning bush on the backside of the desert. Hallelujah. He already had an uphill climb trying to convince Pharaoh. But here's the real scary situation in the matter. He wasn't only trying to convince Egypt. He was trying to convince Israel. He wasn't only trying to convince people that didn't know God. He was trying to convince the people that knew God. What are you saying today? I'm saying in this hour, just as it was for the nation of Israel, so it is for the church the church needs some convincing and she needs to be persuaded and she needs to be resolute concerning the things that be of God 
you see what he was up against, brother, brother Terry? You see what he's up against? Scratching his head. How in the world am I going to be able to walk into the presence of Pharaoh and convince him if I can't even convince God's people? How in the world am I going to have any sway, persuasion upon Egypt if I can't have no persuasion upon Israel? Honey, how in the world can I convince that man of a God when I'm trying to convince God's people about God? I Someone say amen. Because I believe today. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the way in which God has been dealing with me this week. That we live at a juncture today. We live at a juncture today. Where the church needs to be convinced again. The church needs to be persuaded again. That this thing that we have is real. That this Holy Ghost experience that we have is necessary for salvation. We need to win over the world. I'll stand up and cry it from the peak with the rest of them. We need to win over the world. Honey, that are ignorant of God, but honey, we'll never convince them if we don't get convinced. We'll never persuade them if we're not persuaded. We'll not influence their life if we're not influencing our own life concerning this thing. Someone say amen. If we can't convince the church who's supposed to be acquainted with the things of God, how are we going to acquaint those that are not acquainted with the things of God? If you don't believe it, how are they going to believe it? If you're not convinced this is the way of salvation, how are we going to convince them? If we can't convince you it's unimportant enough to give yourself to it of your time and your resources, how are we going to convince them? We need a church that's convinced. Someone say amen. Because according to God's word, before Moses and Aaron did those signs of the rod and the hand and the blood, before they did those signs, before Pharaoh, they did them before the children of Israel. Before they ever walked into Pharaoh's palace and did the signs, they went and gathered together Israel that was in Egypt and did the signs. And note, according to God's word, evidently it took more than just Moses' word saying, I've had a visitation from God for Israel. You can read it. In Exodus 4, they just couldn't take Moses' word that God had visited him or that God had appeared to them. But the church needed convinced. The church needed convinced. And so the Bible says that Moses did these signs before the eyes of the people. The Bible says in Exodus 4 and verse 30, look at it. And Aaron spake all the words, Aaron being the spokesperson for Moses, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. All right, there's the words. Right? There's the words. But it says, and, not words alone. He spoke the words, 
and did the signs in the sight of the people. And look at verse 31 now. And the people I've been in Egypt for a long time. I know the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we've been under bondage for a long time. We have felt the heat of the adversary for a long time. I'm having a hard time drawing the lines of connection about this God thing, about the reality of this God thing, about the power of this God thing. They couldn't just accept the word, but they had to have a sign. The church had to get reconvinced over again. They had to become convinced like Abraham was. They had to become convinced like Jacob was. They had to be convinced like Isaac was. This is real. He is able. This is possible. They had to get reconvinced. I'm telling you, in the year 2018, I wish the first apostolic church at 1121 Cedar Street would get convinced again that this thing is real. It is genuine. That spirit that I feel is holy. It is powerful. He's able to do whatever God wants to do. He can heal the sick. He can save the lost. I wish we would get convinced and persuaded concerning this God thing. People believe they heard the Lord had visited them, the children of Israel, that he looked upon their affliction, bowed their heads, they worshiped. Moses had it right. He said, before I even pretend to believe that I can go in the presence of Pharaoh and convince him, he said, I got to get Israel convinced again. He said, because I'm trying to give testimony from a deep pit if I don't get Israel convinced. Hallelujah. They don't believe their God can get them out of this. Pharaoh's not going to believe it. I got to pass by the church, if you will. I got to pass by God's nation and see if they're persuaded. Someone say amen. In the New Testament scripture, whenever Jesus had appeared after his resurrection, the Bible says, whenever he appeared unto his disciples after his resurrection, the Bible says everybody was there except Thomas. Thomas was not there when the Lord showed up. He, whenever Jesus showed up, Thomas not being there among all the other disciples. He let all those disciples that were gathered witness his hands, witness his feet, witness where the spear had went through his side. He let them all witness that. What was he doing? He was convincing to them, I'm the same man that was on the cross that's standing before you right now. The words that I spoke to you that I'd be handed over to the scribes and the elders and they would crucify me, but three days later I would rise again. You know what he was doing? He was convincing them. He was persuading them. Feel my hands. Feel my side. Look at my feet. He was convincing them. But Thomas wasn't present. 
And the Bible says then one day, as the boys are talking over the little meeting that they had with Jesus, talking about how he was alive and he was resurrected, Thomas is over here doubtful. He says, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints for myself. Unless I can thrust my hand in his side myself. I will not believe. You know what the problem was? There was a segment of the church that wasn't convinced. There was a segment of the church that wasn't convinced. And you know what, Jesus, he knew very well, I can't chance an unconvinced ambassador for me. I can't chance sending out an ambassador that's supposed to represent me, but they're unconvinced. I can't send out Thomas as a disciple, amen, of this church age without him being persuaded. So eight days later, according to God's word, Jesus shows up again among the disciples and Thomas is present and he says Thomas look at my feet look at my hands put your hand in my side and the Bible says that Jesus or rather Thomas believed Jesus couldn't send his disciples to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and try to convince the world if they weren't convinced themselves he says I got to get the church convinced before we can convince the world Someone say amen. He can send a group of 11 out to testify about something they didn't believe in themselves. There isn't perhaps anything any more telling any more detrimental than having a salesman bring his pitch about a product that you can tell right away he's not passionate about. That he hasn't used himself. That he doesn't own himself. I mean, if you're standing before me and you're telling me how good a product is, but your excitement toward it betrays your words, you really need this vacuum cleaner. It's the best that we have out there. You won't find another one like it. This is the greatest. You need to have this in your home Buddy, you need to go get lunch early today. If you have someone there telling me, this is the best. I've never seen another vacuum like this. I own one and it's in my home. My wife only uses it to clean the car. If you start telling me that, I'm going to lean in a little bit. Someone hear me? I'm going to lean in a little bit. But if you're telling me how much I need it in my home and you don't have it in your home, then you're trying to sell me something that you're not sold about yourself. And the question that oftentimes manifests itself in those type of scenarios in that dialogue is this. Sir, tell me, what makes your sweeper, your cleaner, whatever it is, what makes it better than the rest of them that's on the market? Yeah. 
sir, can you tell me what makes this better than any other sweeper or any other cleaner on the market? Many times they can do several of the same things that other things can do on the market, that other sweepers can do on the market, that other cleaners can do on the market. But usually somewhere in its story, there's some little nuance that makes it better than all the rest. Some little nuance that makes it better than the other sweepers, than the other cleaners. But only a passionate person, only a person that's tried it, only a person that owns it can sell that point of it because they've experienced it for themselves and they are sold out to it. Can I tell you today, the church needs to be convinced because... What makes your church different from any other church? What makes your experience better than any other experience? What makes you different from the other churches or from the other organizations or from the other things that say that they know God? What makes it better? Honey, don't try to sell something that you're not sold about yourself. Amen. If you want it in their home, get it in your home. If you want it in their life, get it in your life. Go tell somebody that prayer works and you don't know how to pray a lick. The church needs to get convinced. And I'll tell you why. Some of the reasons why. The church needs to be convinced why Israel it was necessary that Israel be convinced because the sign of the rod particularly the sign of the Nile being turned into blood that was done before Israel those signs that were tools of persuasion for them the reason why they need to be persuaded watch me now because those very same signs of a rod turning into a snake and water turning into blood would be mimicked and parroted by Egypt. The very sign that persuaded them, Egypt would do the same. Let me tell you, and if you're not persuaded, You'll chase any counterfeit. Uh-huh. So I'm standing here today as a flat-footed preacher. I'm not flat-footed, but I am right now. I'm preaching. I'm standing here today and telling you that some of the worship services we have in this building, there's some other organization in church mimicking it. Some of the very same songs and music you hear played up here, there's another assembly doing the same thing. Some man that's standing behind a pulpit this morning may be preaching the exact same scripture passage. Someone hear me right now that I'm preaching. And see, so the question will come forward. You sing the same songs we do. Your music sounds real similar to what we have. You preach from the same passages of scripture that we do. Are you hearing me? 
Are you hearing me? But the church, Israel, that God said, that's my treasure. She needs to be convinced that there is a edge. There is a venue. There is an avenue that sets, as God said, and he wanted to point out, that sets Israel apart from Egypt. Because listen to me. There's always going to be a Jacob. Like in the Jacob and Esau story, there's always going to be a Jacob that somewhere in the recesses are, is posing and posturing as a Esau in order to get the blessing. Are you hearing me? There's always going to be a Jacob that's going to try to feel like Esau, look like Esau, smell like Esau, taste like what Esau has in order to get the blessing. But honey, we're covenant people. We're not just after blessing. We're after covenant. We're... Blessing is temporal. Blessing lasts for a moment. But covenant is eternal. We're not just after blessing. We're after covenant. There's always going to be those try to, to try to, if you will, mimic the smell, mimic the taste, and mimic the feel. Amen. And by God, there needs to be an Isaac. There must be an Isaac that won't second guess what he hears or second guess what he feels. Uh-huh. Problem with Isaac was he wasn't convinced if the boy that was before him, which was Jacob poisoned his Esau, he wasn't convinced whether he was or wasn't. He wasn't persuaded one way or the other. And that's oftentimes where I find the church is today. She's not sure. She's not sure. But we need a Isaac to rear himself up in his bed and say, I know what I'm experiencing right here. Honey, this is just as false as a $3 bill. This is just as false as a three. I know what's real. I know what's real. I know what's God. I know what's not God. I know what's genuine and I know what's not genuine. Honey, he had to acquaint himself. The church needs to acquaint herself with the genuine move and power of the spirit. Not men's wisdom, but a demonstration of spirit and of power we need to be able to recognize a fraud so after Moses has done this before Israel And they believe. He goes before Pharaoh with the sign of the rod. The rod is laid down in the presence of Pharaoh and it turns into a snake. But what happens? The same thing that convinced Israel. Now before Pharaoh who says, who is the Lord? Don't have no reference point for the Lord. This rod is laid down and Pharaoh calls in his magician calls in his magicians and with their enchantments brother Fred they lay down their rods and they turn into serpents they lay down their rods and they turn into serpents Bible says that they would take some water from the Nile and they would pour it on the ground and it would turn into blood it's one of the tools of persuasion that was even used in the eyes of Israel. What's Pharaoh do? Calls in his magicians. And they take water. And they pour it on the ground. This is in your Bible. And it turns into 
Someone say amen. What are you saying, Blue McGee? I'm saying it's at moments like that that you better be persuaded. With good reason, Moses visited Israel before he visited Pharaoh. Because I don't know if it would have been retrievable if he visited Pharaoh first and all this nonsense happened. But he had to get the nation convinced first because somehow God knew that Egypt was going to try to mimic what God was going to do. And so it's at this point, honey, you best be persuaded. Whenever their music sounds like your music and their songs are your songs and they have prayer two times a week and you only have it once a month. I'm about ready to have a fit around here when they have their own month of consecration at the beginning of the year and you have a week. Somebody hear me? When the things come to me, why is it that we only had one service today and they have two services? You better be persuaded. Ah, somebody not hearing me yet today. You better be convinced because if you're not careful, you'll be given over some doubtful disputations in your mind. Is everything that preacher's saying, is that really real? Do we really need to do that? Does God's word really explain it that way? Do we need to be sold out to that? Because they have the same songs we do. They have prayer meetings. Our rod turned into a snake. Their rod turned into the snakes. That water became blood. Their water became blood. Honey, you better be persuaded. You better be persuaded that you're God's treasure. You better be convinced that you're trying to follow the will and the way and the purpose of God. Not everything that quacks like a duck and walks like a duck is a duck in this generation. We need a convinced church. That's the insult to injury. Listen. Whenever it comes into the time then of doing the signs before Egypt of the plagues, <coughs> Moses calls frogs. On the land invades their homes invades their ovens invades their, their beds now it serves the reason you get that many frogs honey they're going when they cover the land they love to get anywhere the Bible says when that happened Pharaoh called his magician and they called frogs given witness to all this and they're having to choose in this moment did Mo have a visitation from God is what the quote unquote deliverer is saying is it believable honey not only do you need to be convinced as the church you need to be convinced about the man of God 
that he has in your church. Is Brother, is Brother McGee, is he just blowing smoke? I mean, is he just coming up with some fairy tales and just, you know, pushing his own agenda in the church about what's necessary for salvation? You better be persuaded whenever there are a lot of similarities, as it would seem, between the church and a church. What is necessary in 2018 is that the church needs to reach a level, a level of persuasion, a level of convincing that the members of the church, the naysayers of the church, the false imitators of the church can't deny when we reach the level that they say, wait a minute, what's happening right now is undeniably the power of God. Uh, somebody hearing me right now? Mm, consider, if you will. I want to I wanna dig around this a little bit. Then. I've already been going for a long time. And I, I thought maybe I wasn't going to get very far. So I wrote down some extra notes. So they just might have to remain extra. Look at it. A time in Israel's history where she was betwixt and between the false and the truth. The pure and the not so pure. Serving God, serving idol gods. And the Lord sent a man of God by the name of Elijah to a hill called Carmel of 1 Kings 18. 450 prophets of Baal, a false entity, a false God. And there's Elijah holding true to the Lord, true God. Watch it now. Each party was given a bullet. Same thing. Someone say amen. Each party was given a bullet. Each party, those of the false, those of the true, cut their bullet in pieces. Same thing. Each party laid their sacrifices on the wood that they laid in order. The one that served the true God, the one that served the false God. Exact same thing happening. Both gave prayers. If anybody had been with Elijah, but at the time there wasn't, they'd say, well, they have a bullet just like we do. They cut it in order like we do. They put it on the wood like we do. They got an altar, we got an altar. They're saying a prayer. Honey, this is, this is looking real similar. This is looking real similar. But it wasn't until the end of the day, really. The end of the day that the differences were known to the prophets of Baal. And the differences were known to the 7,000 that were over in a cave somewhere. That it still stayed true to the Lord. Because the Bible says that Elijah's altar had been covered with water. Three times they had gathered water and poured upon the altar and made a trench. Elijah's altar had been covered by water and had been visited by fire but the prophets of Baal the only thing they had covered their altar with and their sacrifices with was the blood of their own woundings of their bodies 
They cried and they cried and they prayed to their God till finally they started cutting themselves and the Bible says that blood gushed out of them. That was the only thing that got upon their altar and upon their sacrifice. And so while Elijah's was covered by the blood of a substitutionary sacrifice which the pagan altar was covered by the blood of a substitution sacrifice. Amen. But they thought it took the wounding of their own body to be somehow mixed with the substitution sacrifice in order to get anything done. But not Elijah. He says, I'm going to make the altar wet. And this was the testimony before it ever started. He said, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the Bible says, when that fire fell from heaven upon Elijah's bullock, that was just like theirs. Upon Elijah's wood, that was in order. Just like theirs. Upon Elijah's altar, that seemed like theirs. Amen. Upon Elijah's prayer, when they had prayed, when the fire fell, the Bible says, everyone said, the Lord, He is God. What happened? There's got to be a level that there is a convincing of both the church and the world who God is, what truth is, what right is, where it can't be mimicked, where it can't be mocked, where it can't. Well, you're saying, Pastor McGee, I'm telling you this. As long as we live at the level that whatever we can do can be mimicked, as long as we live at the level that whatever we can do can be mirrored in another congregation, in another assembly that doesn't know God as God, as long as it can be mimicked, there will be no revelation. There will be no epitome moment that says, hey, there is something different. But if we unction to go just a little higher and go a little beyond, there'll come a moment that the magicians will say, because the Bible says whenever gnats, lice, redder was brought upon the land, that the magicians attempted it, but they couldn't do it. And they told Pharaoh, this is the finger. This is the finger of God. What happened? God had just taken it to a level that undeniably, both in the church and in the world, they realized this is of God. This is God. This Honey, we need to get to a place at the first apostolic church. We reach a level. Amen. Their songs might sound the same. Their musicians might play the same music. But we need to get to a level that what happens in the first apostolic church, they look over there and say, that's of God. That's the doings of God. We can't mimic that. We can't mock that. That's God. Because if the only thing that both Pharaoh and Israel experienced was the same things that Pharaoh's magicians could mimic, there might have started to creep in some doubts back in the house of Israel. Some would start to think they're no different from us. We're no different from them. 
God raised the bar. And then something that the magicians could not mimic. It's then that declared, this is the finger of God. What are you doing? I'll tell you what God wanted to do, what God was doing, what he set out to do. He wanted to show that there was a distinction between his people and their people. of attitude and holiness of dress. Let me tell you, there's people out there today that are dressing modestly. Matter of fact, it's a pretty big campaign anymore. Am I doing all right? There's got to be something. Shaves a sharp line of distinction between his people and that people. There's got to be some mark of distinction upon the church of God. What are you saying? I'm saying this. Everything that happens in the church shouldn't be capable of being manufactured by a man. Everything that happens in this church shouldn't be able to be manufactured by a group of people. There needs to be somewhere in our services finger of God moments. Because it's in those moments that bring clarity. It's in those moments that all doubts are removed that there is a visitation of heaven that's taking place right now in that moment. I told you a few weeks ago, folks. I told you a few weeks ago. I don't know if you caught on it or not, but a few weeks ago, it might have been two weeks ago, I told you that we could come to church and have church and leave and do everything that we do here and never been anointed. We could take up our offering, sing our songs, preach our sermons, play our musical instruments. You sit in the pew and even raise and clap your hands and not once have a visitation from heaven. We could come in this place and operate just like any other assembly that know, know God as God and go through the same mechanics and motions as they do and there would be no difference. It would look as though a mere image. But there must be something that arises in the year 2018 that says, you know what? That is undeniably irrefutable. The finger of God. That's the power of God. That's not the doing of a man. That's not the doing of people that come together with a mindset. That is the hand and the handiwork of God. And the church needs to get
I tell you, when they'll come to the church and they'll come the first time and they'll say, you know what, I need to go back. It's whenever what they experience there is different from what they've experienced anywhere else. That it's not the same song, the same music, the same feel, the same prayer, the same calisthenics, if you will, of being religious. It's when they get there and they say, wait a minute, I'm seeing something here I've not seen. I'm feeling something I've not felt in other places. What is it? It's a manifestation of his presence. It's the power of God. It's the, we can't mimic that. We can't generate that we can't create that that's a God but as a church we got to become convinced that we've got that we exercise that we practice that every time we come here Stand with me. I've went long. Stand with me. <laughs> it was from the moment of the lice forward that the magicians never could. They never could mimic what was done concerning the plagues in Egypt. From that point forward, see what happened? They reached a threshold that they could go by their own ingenuity this far. That's as far as they could go. Honey, as long as we patty cake down here, we're just going as far as any other gathering together of people can do. But whenever we tap into not our humanity, but divinity, we'll reach a threshold that no organization, grouping of people can get to except it be for Flies come, couldn't do it. Hellstorm came, couldn't do it. Locust came, couldn't do it. Death of the firstborn, couldn't do it. Brother McGee, let me tell you, I'm really trying to close. But here's what convinces me concerning the persuasion of Israel. Those first few signs that was done, they were persuaded, even though they were mimicked later by Egypt. I tell you what convinces me that they were persuaded. Because whenever Moses said, this night the death angel is going to pass by. He says, you all need to put the blood. Find you a lamb. Slaughter the lamb. Take the blood, put it on the lintel. Put it on the doorpost. He says, you're going to eat the lamb. Enough lamb for your household. You're all going to stay in your house. You're going to eat the lamb. Listen to him now. With your shoes on your feet with your garments and your, your loins gird, with your staff in the hand, because God's going to blow the doors open on this thing. You know how I knew they were convinced, Brother Fred? Because whenever Moses finishes those words, they're not contemplating whether they should do what he said, but they're finding a lamb. They're slaughtering a lamb. As, as odd as it looked, they're putting blood on their lintel and blood on their door. As odd as it looked, as they're eating that night rather than reclining, they're standing, their staff is in their hand, their shoes are on their feet. Why? Because Israel was convinced God will do what God said he will do. God will come through the way God said he'll come through we're convinced because we're ready for it to happen we're right here just eagerly waiting for it to take place that's how I knew Israel got convinced Woo. 
So my question to this assembly this morning is this. Who's going to gird their loins with their garment around it this morning? Who's going to grab their staff and have it ready in hand and not leaned over against a wall somewhere? Who's going to lace up their shoes and have it up on their feet because you're anxious and you're, you're on the verge ready to go? Are you convinced? Are you persuaded? We have a community. We have a state. We have a nation. People need convinced. They need persuaded. But it won't happen until you're persuaded. It won't happen until you're convinced. It won't happen until you're won over and you're sowed out about this thing we call church. About this thing we call God. I'm closing. People can come. I'm closing. But God did it for John the Baptist too. John, a heralder of the work, six months, I believe it was, before Jesus Christ come and repent. Repent, remission of sins, preaching the same message that Jesus would preach. He would later find himself put in prison, right? Find himself put in prison. And what's happening? He's waffling concerning whether or not he's convinced because he has a few disciples. He says, go ask that man Jesus if he's the one that should come. Or should I look for another? John had been at the period. I just don't know if I'm really convinced yet. What Jesus said, he said, you go back and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind have received her sight. The lame are walking. What? He says, there's a threshold that's been reached that could not be happening by the hand of man. This is a God thing. Oh, these altars are open today if someone would want to find a place to pray. And I'm telling you to this morning, I believe this should be the prayer of the people that come around the altar. Lord, convince me. God, I want to be re-persuaded. I want to be convinced again concerning the work of God, the strength of God, the word of God. I want to be convinced again. Lord, I am barking, Lord Jesus, in the wrong direction, trying to persuade others when I'm not persuaded myself, trying to sell something to others that I'm not sold on myself, trying to tell others how great it is and I'm not passionate about it myself. God needs a church that is convinced. God needs a church that's won over. We need to get to a stage in the church uh, that we just don't go through the motions uh, of doing things what everybody else could do but we enter a level, an era of God doing something in the church that cannot be mocked mimicked, imitated oh but it's a figure of God moment yeah come on family of God family of God let's cry out to him today let's cry out to him today Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.